morning. morning. Would you pray with me one more time? God, this is your word, and we ask that you would open our hearts and our ears to see in it the things that each of us desperately need to see. I pray that you would work in our hearts to prompt the response to what you're saying that we need to have. You are wise, you are strong, you are good and gracious, and we ask you now to make that clear in a way that brings praise to us, that brings encouragement and joy to this family of believers here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's neat that we get to consider today this passage about a post-Christmas encounter with uh, the the birth of Jesus. I think it was planned uh, because we just celebrated Christmas two days ago. And if we went around the room, I think we'd discover that there's a bunch of different ways of celebrating Christmas. Maybe not huge variation, uh, but definitely variation from family to family. So when I was uh, a kid, my parents had kind of set up some traditions that were the, the goal was to help us build anticipation for the fact that Christmas was about the birth of Jesus. And so as a kid, I really liked those traditions. I really liked the anticipation. I liked the the Bible readings. And we had an an advent calendar with the little weird pictures on the flaps, if you've seen those. And the advent candles and a Christmas Eve service. All this anticipation that was very specifically focused on Jesus' birth. But definitely when I was a kid, I was, I was a lot better at waiting for Christmas like a Christian than actually celebrating Christmas like a Christian because there were those presents on Christmas Day. And when Christmas Day came, all the anticipation that I had kind of worked on in my heart through the help of my parents just kind of went out the window and definitely these gifts became uh, the focus for me. I didn't really know in that context in my heart how to celebrate the birth of Jesus, which seems so far removed compared to this stuff right in front of me. Um, So all that anticipation kind of went to waste. But actually, the anticipation for the gifts a lot of times went went to waste too because a lot of times I had set myself up for uh, some disappointment. And the clearest example of that was the year that I was really waiting for a bicycle. And I don't know why that year I really wanted a bicycle and some some very nice uh, women in our church had been kind enough to, to buy us these bicycles. So there was kind of a buildup on Christmas Day. There's a big gift today. Uh, it was kind of the last thing that me and my younger brother were going to get, these bicycles. And they had put them in this side room off of the main area we, where we were doing the gifts. And so they, they, they bring us over, what's in this room? They open the door, and there are the bicycles. And there's my younger brother's bicycle which is shiny red training wheels. Uh, and I recognized it was actually my older brother's bicycle from when he was younger, but they put training wheels on it. <laughs> but still, it was, it was a good bike. And then there was my bicycle, and uh, it was a nice bow uh, used bicycle from the gift uh, like thrift store. Pink bicycle. <laughs> And I I cried, I kind of threw a tantrum, (laughs) I got spanked, (laughs) and I had to apologize to the women in our church who had done whatever, you know, they just had, they tried to find a bike that was the right size, 
And then later my dad helped me spray paint the bike blue and the paint started coming off. <laughs> another story. But the point is, uh, no matter how good your Christmas traditions are, trying to help your kids focus on, on Christmas the, the right way, it doesn't make up for giving a little boy a pink bike. Uh, so maybe for some of you uh, here, you had families who did similar kind of things, traditions to help you understand and, and celebrate Christmas as the birth of Jesus. Or maybe you're parents now and you're, you're still trying to figure this out. How are we supposed to make this a special time but still help our kids really focus on celebrating uh, the coming of Jesus? But uh, whether or not at this point you're content or happy about the way you grew up celebrating Christmas or you feel like you've kind of got it figured out for your family now if you're content with how you're celebrating Christmas, uh, the question of how to celebrate that holiday two days ago is really not as important as, as the bigger question, which is the question we're going to be looking at today in this passage from Luke. And the question is this. It's how do we embrace and celebrate Christ himself? Not Christmas the day, but Christ the person. So this passage we're looking at addresses that question, how are we supposed to embrace in our day-to-day -day lives this Son of God who we just celebrated two days ago? Now, thinking back through the sermons we've had uh, this month, if you think about the ones from the Gospel of Luke, uh, in the Gospel of Luke so far, up to this point, all of the little episodes in his story have been episodes of surprises. So you get an angel suddenly appearing to this priest while he's in the temple, Zechariah. So that's surprising. And then the news to him is your, your old, barren wife is going to have a son. And that's a, that's a big surprise. Then the next kind of major episode is Mary, this young, unmarried, virgin uh, girl. And an angel suddenly appears to her out of the blue. She wasn't expecting it at all, so that's surprising. And then the news to her is not only is she going to have a child, but the child that she's going to have is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. It's very unexpected news to her. And then the Savior of the world is actually born, and he's the king of the universe, but he's not born into pomp and circumstance. Uh, he's born into poverty. And then kind of carrying on that, that surprise theme, you have these, uh, these, this army of angels suddenly appearing to this, this raggedy, kind of misfit band of shepherds out of the blue, telling them about a savior who's been born to them, a savior that they weren't expecting at all. So, so Luke, it's just surprise announcement, surprise announcement, surprise announcement, surprise announcement. And then we get to this story about Simeon and Anna, and there's, there's kind of a shift in perspective from surprise announcements by angels to the testimony of kind of these stable, uh, wise people who don't seem really surprised at all that Jesus uh, has been born. So if all the surprises are put in Luke to kind of make us uh, realize that something important is happening, Simeon and Anna kind of come in as teachers to kind of show us this is how we're supposed to respond to the coming of the Savior that we've been alerted to by all these surprise announcements. So the first thing to notice here about Simeon and Anna's responses to Christ is actually to notice uh, actually how they viewed themselves in the first place. 
If you look at verse 25, the first thing we read about Simeon is that he was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that, and that word consolation might be a little unfamiliar. It doesn't really happen a lot in the Bible, but it's, it's kind of the same word for, for comforting or comfort. And for a Jew like Simeon, who knew his Bible, he was really involved at the temple, uh, he knew his Old Testament, for a Jew in, the old, uh, in, in Jesus' day to be waiting for the comforting of Israel meant that he was waiting for the salvation of Israel from the wrath and judgment of God against sin. So they're kind of interchangeable in a sense, and you even see that because Luke, the, the narrator, says Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and then in verse 30, when Simeon says, at last, what I've been waiting for is here, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. And so you notice the, the combination of to wait for the consolation of Israel, to wait for the comforting of God's people in Simeon's mind uh, is to wait for, for salvation from sin. You even see this in Old Testament passages that predict the birth of Jesus. So if you, if you look at Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 5, it says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So there's that idea of, of consolation or comfort. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So Simeon is righteous, but he's waiting for salvation from sin. He's righteous, but he's waiting for a savior to save him from his sin. And uh, here we're faced with, with a very important distinction that a lot of people outside of Christianity, but also inside of Christianity, uh, a lot of times misunderstand. This guy, Simeon, is called righteous and devout. He's, he's a man of integrity. He's uh, humble. He's, he's a good guy. He's uh, even a religious person. And for a lot of people, that, that's Christianity. So if you think of, of the Bible as, as a list of rules or as a way of life, Simeon's kind of already a Christian before Jesus shows up at all. He's kind of irrelevant because he's, he's righteous and devout. That's it. But what we see about Simeon's righteousness is that it came not from something that he was doing for God as a religious person, Simeon's righteousness came from the fact that he knew he needed God to do something for him. What marks Simeon out as an example for us isn't that he didn't need a savior. What marks him out as an example to us as a righteous man is that he knew he needed a savior. And this is what enables Simeon to embrace this, this, this poor, humble uh, baby into his arms as his savior. And, and this is the only way we can rightly embrace the birth of Christ, is to know we need a savior. Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York City, uh, puts this idea this way. He says, Christmas is the end of thinking you are better than someone else, because Christmas is telling you that you could never get to heaven on your own. God had to come to you. It is telling you that people who are saved are not those who have arisen through their own ability to be what God wants them to be. Salvation comes to those who admit how weak they are. Being a Christian is not about 
being a good person. Uh, good people don't need a savior. People who have it all together are not waiting, longing for a rescuer the way Simeon was. And that's exactly what Jesus says later in this gospel, later in Luke, in chapter 5, verse 31. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So if we here two days after Christmas and for the rest of our lives are going to respond to seeing Christ with eyes of faith and hearts full of joy, then we need God to wake us up to the painful fact that we're diseased by sin and need healing. And if we're Christians, we're still, we're, we're on the men, right? But we're still diseased by sin. Our biggest need at Christmas time despite all the craziness and the hecticness and wanting to make it special, is not, oh, we really need to slow down, we really need to learn to relax and just enjoy, uh, you know, enjoy the nice time. Uh, God could have sent us a therapist if that was what we really needed at Christmas time, but he, he sent us his son. We don't need a God to rescue us from stress or from low self-esteem. We need a savior from our rebellion against God we need a savior from the suffering that that rebellion causes. And we need a savior from the wrath that that rebellion deserves. So if Christmas, coming off of Christmas, uh, seeing Jesus come is going to be joy to us, then we need to ask God to, to help us take the time to think about, to give us the sobriety and, and the time to, to really be serious and contemplate the fact uh, that we need him. We need God to help us see our need for him the way that Simeon, this righteous man, did. Not only uh, have Simeon and Anna then uh, embraced the fact that they need a savior, but they've also embraced uh, the promise that God gave that he was going to send salvation. And this is the second way they're able to celebrate Christmas uh, in an exemplary way for us. So they, they knew their need for a savior, but they trusted God's promise to send a savior. And both of them were waiting for the, promise, the promised savior that God had promised in the Old Testament. Uh, but interestingly, we read that Simeon actually had a, a special promise from God personally to him that he was gonna see the savior with his own eyes, which was so uh, cool and gracious of God to do that to him. So and if you look at verses 26 to 28, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. So not only had Simeon embraced, taken to heart God's words about his sin, he had also taken to heart God's words about his Savior. And in a sense, Simeon had already embraced this baby. He'd already embraced this Savior before he ever laid eyes on him. Because he'd embraced the promise of this Savior. He had taken God at his word. And this is the second thing that we can learn from this passage about what it means to embrace Christ. It is to embrace all of God's promises of salvation for us, both past and future.
So some of us might be really good at absorbing certain aspects of the Bible. You might be really good at absorbing what the Bible says about your sin or your obedience. So maybe you're really good at noticing the parts of the Bible that command us to do things that you're already doing. Uh, you're actually kind of, they jump out to you, oh, I've got that covered, I've got that under control, I'm living the, the Christian life. And, and if that's the, the sum total of our view of Christmas, our view of, of the Bible, uh, Christmas is not going to be joy to you until God brings you to a point of being able to recognize the subtlety and the seriousness of your sin the way that Simeon had. But maybe for others of you, uh, that's not so much describing uh, you. Maybe you're very sensitive to the fact that, that you don't measure up. Maybe your sin weighs on you with a heaviness that, that no one else even knows about. Maybe you're all too aware that God commands things of you that seem to you just impossible to do. Or that he calls you to stop doing things that seem to you just impossible to stop doing. Or maybe you even just on the inside feel overwhelmed by your inability to love what God says is lovely or to hate the things that God says are hateful. And you just know, I, I, don't, I can't do that. I just don't have it in me. But Simeon and Anna's story raises the question for us who are in that boat. Why, why would you accept so readily, so quickly absorb all these things that this book says about your guilt, but be so resistant to what this book says about your Savior? When this whole book is a story about what God has done to deal with your guilt. Because yes, you, you need to embrace the fact that, that you're a mess, but you don't need to stop there. And yes, God sees our sinfulness and he, he sees it better than we do. There's a verse in, in Jeremiah 17, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. But the reason the God who, who sees our utter wickedness gives us this book, gives us Christmas, isn't to leave us sitting around thinking Christian life is about saying, oh, we're such bad people, we're such bad people. It's to show us that there's a good God who embraces bad people and transforms bad people. And because of Jesus, we can know him. And that's why Christmas is so wonderful and so joyful to those who both see their need for a savior and embrace God's promise of salvation. So Christmas can be a wonderful thing and a joyful thing and wonder and joy are exactly what we see in Simeon when he responds to Christ uh, because he realized that the one he desperately needed and that the one he had trusted God to send he was now holding in his arms. And because he's embraced Christ, because he's received this salvation from God, he's able to face his death with joy. So Christmas is about all these things, but it's also about facing death with joy. Look with me at verses 29 and 32. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. It's interesting because we read this and the, what he says, we just kind of assume, oh, this, is, this guy's old. Uh, but it doesn't actually say that he's old. And he might be old. Uh, but it doesn't say that he's old. Uh, all it says is that he gets a glimpse of what God is doing through this baby, and he's ready to die. And isn't that kind of weird? I mean, he didn't have to say that. He could said, this is great. Now, when eventually I do die, I'm covered. But that, that's not what he says. Didn't he have anything else on his bucket list? Uh, you know, the annual camel races? I don't know. Uh, but he just he sees this baby, and he's ready to die. Because for Simeon, the implications of embracing Christ who'd come to save him weren't focused on making his present life better. He wasn't, he wasn't waiting for a savior to come and, and make his life all, you know, click into place. Salvation to Simeon was about having a peace with God that was made possible through this baby. So that, that when he thought about death then, what he thought about was on the other side of death is the joy because I know that there's a saving, gracious God there on the other side of death. And so even for us now, even though we are not embracing a little baby, now we have a whole story of what Christ did, living, suffering God's, penalty, uh, God's wrath on the cross, rising from the dead. We embrace the, the whole story of Christ in a sense. But in another sense, we're also embracing a, a baby salvation, so to speak. Uh, my son Jude is actually six weeks old which is right around the age, maybe a little bit older, that Jesus was when he came into the temple. So it's been really cool holding him and, and kind of thinking, wow, this is sort of what it was like. And uh, I didn't wait a whole lifetime for Jude to be born. I did wait nine months. So there's kind of some parallels with the anticipation. But if we think about when we're waiting for babies to be born, there's this anticipation, this anticipation, and then the baby comes. And if that was it, and it was just like, now we have... 50 years of holding this baby, uh, I don't know, it, it would be hard. But that's not, that's not uh, what it is. This first stage of anticipation climaxes with the birth of the baby, and then we start a whole new uh, layer of anticipation, of waiting to see this baby grow up, of waiting to know this new person heart to heart and to be able to talk to them and relate to them and have this bond with them. And it's the same thing with our salvation. Uh, we, we have a baby salvation, so to speak. This, what we're doing here, uh, the way that the life is for us in, as Christians on this earth, this is not the be-all and end-all of Christianity. Like Simeon, we're also waiting. We're, we're, we're saved and we're waiting, but not for the day when we get to hold uh, a baby, Jesus. Not, we're not waiting to embrace a baby, but we're waiting for the day when uh, we will be welcomed, and we will be embraced by the risen Lord of the universe, by the one who is absolutely astounding and, and totally satisfying and completely awe-inspiring, and he's going to set every troubled mind to rest, and he's going he's gonna to free every burdened heart. He's going to usher us into an eternity of wonder after wonder, and that's what we're waiting for as Christians.
We're not just holding the baby for eternity. Uh, one hymn that I really like kind of captures this sense of wonder of what we're waiting for. In one of the verses, it says, O resurrection body, young, radiant, vibrant, free, with powers unthought, undreamed of, how rich your joys shall be through endless years to marvel, design, create, explore in resurrection wonder to worship, serve, adore. Heaven is going to be incredible. So don't be discouraged. If you're someone who feels like sometimes your salvation just kind of feels half-baked, like you're wondering, what is the deal with all this sin that remains in me? Or what is the deal with all this tragedy that's still swirling around me in the world? Our salvation is still in its infancy. This is just the newborn stage. It's the first we have, we have here in, in this life uh, and the joy that we get to experience of knowing Christ, just the first faint glimmers of a strong, a solid, and a joyful life for us on the other side of death. So we can face death, and we can face all the deadly struggles of this world with joy. So Simeon is ready to face death with joy, but we also see that the salvation that makes him ready to die with joy uh, is focused not just on the future, but there are also kind of earth-shattering implications, I'm sorry, I said kind of, not kind of, earth-shattering implications to this message uh, here and now for us. So he goes on to describe this to salvation and two things about the way he describes it after he's welcomed this baby and he starts to talk about the implications for now that Jesus has come. And the two implications of that are that this salvation is universal, but that this salvation is also divisive. So Christ has come, and the salvation he brings is universal in a sense, but it's also divisive in a sense. So look at verse 30 with me. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The significance of this baby's birth is universal in scope. It includes everybody. And that, that actually ran against the grain of what a lot of the Jews in Simeon's day uh, were expecting. They wanted a savior to come and deliver them from the Gentiles, from the Romans. But Simeon here, he says, no, this, this is actually the one that the Gentiles and actually the whole world have been waiting for. Uh, one writer kind of explained it this way. Uh, the salvation that God was getting ready the verse says uh, it was prepared in the presence of all peoples. It was like a wrapped up Christmas present that God took and he put it under the tree of Israel. And so Israel thought, oh, this is our present. But then Christmas comes and Christ is born and the, and the wrapping paper comes off. And the surprise, we, we discover that this present is actually uh, for everyone, for people from every culture, from every background, uh, in every life situation. This is the one that the world has been waiting for to put them right with God. And it's the one that the world needs. And so we learn that the only hope for humankind is Christ. Not education or health care. Not tolerance or uh, freedom from radicalism. Or not uh, a romantic relationship 
or even just general human acceptance. That's not what everybody needs. Doesn't matter what country you live in, or culture, or era, back through history, what religious background. The only truly universal need of every single person is salvation through Christ, and that is what God offers to every single person, regardless of where you come from and regardless of what you've done. The coming of Christ and the call to embrace Christ is not kind of a subculture tradition that some of us have, but not others. It's for everybody, and we don't need to be ashamed of that. The hope that God offers in this person, Jesus Christ, is, is what marks Christianity off from every other religion and every other approach to spirituality because salvation comes as a person to rescue you, not as a system for you to follow so that you can rescue yourself. Uh, in every other view of the world, uh, salvation will come to you if you uh, can somehow follow this or that code or if you can somehow perfect this or that spiritual practice. But, but true salvation from God comes not through a practice, but through a person. So we don't have to be ashamed to talk about him to other people as if we're somehow just offering them our, our private little take on religion and spirituality. To say to people that you need Jesus is not to impose a religious system on them. It's to say to people who are living in the darkness of human systems and human sin, light has come. It isn't to lay some kind of guilt trip on them. It's to, it's to call them to enter into the glory of embracing a person, not a code, to embracing Christ and being reconciled to God. But sadly and tragically, uh, not everyone is going to embrace this Christ. That's what Simeon says next. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Into this scene of joy and hope, Simeon kind of turns things and he interjects this somber note. Jesus' birth isn't just an offer of hope, to all peoples, uh, it's also a source of division among all people because not everyone is going to embrace Jesus the way Simeon did. So this is a salvation that either brings extreme joy or extreme opposition. And that's why Simeon calls uh, Jesus a sign that will be opposed. And we know that in Jesus' own lifetime, this opposition against Jesus ultimately led those who opposed him to put him to death. And, and Simeon foretells that to, to Mary. He says, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. But, but that opposition to, to Christ was really a, just an outworking and an evidence of the opposition that was in uh, people's hearts against God. And so Simeon wraps this, this part of the section up by saying, thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Uh, because the fact that God himself 
has come down to earth in the person of Jesus means that every one of us here is vulnerable to exposure. There's no hiding anymore. We can't settle, you must not settle, don't let other people settle with a vague feeling that we're right with God because uh, we should not think that we're right with God if we're opposed or apathetic to Jesus. Because, like Simeon says here, how you respond to Jesus exposes where your heart is with God. It doesn't matter how somebody lives. It doesn't matter how often somebody prays. It doesn't matter how many times somebody says praise the Lord. It doesn't matter how much money somebody gives to the church. You could look like Simeon and Anna in every other respect. People confuse you on the street for Simeon and Anna. But the dividing line of whether you are appointed to fall or rise, to, whether you should look forward to death uh, with joy or whether you should be terrified to die, has all to do with what you are doing with this salvation that God has brought in Jesus. So if you've not embraced Christ as Savior, regardless of how similar you are to Simeon and Anna otherwise, you're not ready to die. But if like Simeon and like Anna, you are beginning to see your need for Jesus, and if like them you have clung to the promise of God for salvation, and if you together with forgiven sinners throughout all history uh, and over, all over the world have embraced the Son of God, then, then not only can, can you be looking forward with them to the joy on the other side of death, but you can also live life now with joy. So as we come to a close, let's just look at uh, this, this brief summary of this wise woman, Anna, who you think she'd be the one who's ready to die, uh, but she's a reminder to us that the saving that comes through Christ makes us ready to live with joy. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So this 84-year-old woman to us is an example of faithfulness to God, even when we haven't seen all his promises fulfilled yet. She was living with serious joy in the promises of salvation. So when salvation actually came, she was able to respond with joy to their fulfillment. And how was that joy expressed for her? I think we see two things that we could learn from. The way that joy at, at, at receiving that salvation of God was expressed for her, first of all, was through worship. And Anna's life was already filled with worshiping God. So when she sees Jesus, her immediate response is joyful thanksgiving. So for us, let's continue to devote ourselves to, to lifting up our voices here today, putting our energy into singing with, with grateful praise to God, uh, because we have both. We have the promise fulfilled of a Savior, and we have the hope uh, to come of life with him. We've seen so much more even than Anna got to see. The second part of Anna's response is, is not worship, it's witness. She, she started to talk to people, everyone who was there, uh, about this God and, and Savior, to everyone who was there who, who needed salvation. Uh, the fact that Christ had come to earth, that God had come to earth, meant that it was time to tell people about it. 
So let's ask God, uh, coming away from here, to help us embrace Christ in a way that rightly motivates us as, as people who have felt our need for Christ and embrace God's promise of forgiveness and of joy. Uh, how, how can we not want other people to know this, this news? Both Anna's response of joyful worship and witness and Simeon's response of, of joyful readiness for death were based on the fact that they would already embraced Christ as the only one who could give them the relationship with God that they needed. And they'd already embraced God's promise that he would come and bring that salvation. So they, were, they embraced Christ and they were able to live and die with joy. So as you go from here, uh, waiting for the completion of your salvation, waiting for God to finally put everything right once and for all. Embrace Christ. Embrace Christ by embracing your need for a Savior. Don't lapse into to just kind of business as usual, moralism, doing the right things. Embrace Christ. Embrace Him by embracing God's promise of forgiveness, both now and His promise of joy everlasting. And, and as we see Christ for all he is and all he's done and, and long to see him do more to bring an even fuller salvation to us, let's praise God. Praise God now that he enables us in the meantime on Christmas, today, uh, for the rest of our lives to live and die with joy. Let's pray.